You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us for another episode. If this is your first time listening, we'd like to welcome you to what we consider to be the best Bible study, Bible conversation, Bible teaching podcast that you can find out in the podcast land. And so I want to welcome you in, I encourage you to stay a while, listen to what we have to say. And if you enjoy what you're hearing and you haven't done so already, we would ask you to become a subscriber and to download our content on a regular basis. You can do that by hitting the subscribe button on any of your podcast application, uh, and you will ultimately get that uh, podcast downloaded to your mobile device uh, each and every week as we release content. We try to release content every Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, I also want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, you're a longtime listener, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you would, please send us an email. You can send that to bonefireministries at gmail.com. We'd love to hear uh, who's listening, where you're from, uh, maybe what you enjoy or don't enjoy about the podcast, anything. uh, You can just send us that quick note. Uh, We'd love to give some shout outs uh, to listeners uh, who are listening. And so, again, just take just a moment, uh, send us an email, bonefireministries at gmail.com. Well, Dad, we are back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like it has been forever since it's, we... It's been several weeks, yeah. Yeah, uh, we, it's, it just seems like it's been forever since our last podcast. That was early December, I believe, was our last episode. And uh, we ended up taking a, a kind of an extra long break. And mm-hmm. I, I'll say for myself, personally, I necessarily didn't intend for us to take a break that was uh, that long. But um, it was a very busy holiday season. Right. And, uh, you know, we had a great holiday season here um, at our local church. And uh, we stay busy during the holiday season, during Christmas. And uh, we have seemingly something going on almost every day of the week. Right. And, uh, you know, we had a, a great um, Bethlehem walk and uh, had two nights of that. And uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, we recreate the uh, town of Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born. We build um, a whole structure out on our soccer fields. We've got about 150 actors or so that are out there. And we take people through a, a guided tour through Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born. And so um, I think we had a, uh, what was uh, something like Two or three thousand come through, something like yeah, that. Yeah, in two nights, I would say it's about three thousand people in about two 3, nights. 000, yeah, mm-hmm. so just a, a great turnout. I did miss one night because of uh, poor weather. Mm-hmm. We had some some rain come in, uh, but we were able to get uh, two nights in there. And then um, we, of course, uh, kind of follow an Advent schedule, kind of looking to the the birth of Christ throughout Advent. So we had a uh, uh, several good services there, and uh, our kids' musical uh, was great. I really enjoyed that. It was uh, Christmas in the country or something like that. It was very uh, good. Probably one of the, my, my favorite uh, episodes or uh, uh, cantatas or, or children's musicals that, that I've seen. And then, of course, we had our uh, midnight uh, candlelight communion, and that's always a great time. So, yeah, it was just a, it was a great time. And so we stayed busy with the local church ministry here and so took a little bit of time off from podcasting. But we are... Uh, back in the saddle for 2022, and I'm I'm excited about uh, this year and looking forward to the new year. Uh, from a podcast standpoint, uh, we will be hitting the two year mark um, of our ministry in 2022, so that'll be coming up here in June of 2022, and we are quickly approaching our 100th episode, mm-hmm. and that'll probably be somewhere in that summertime as well that we'll hit the hundredth episode and. 
Uh, nothing necessarily special about that, but that is kind of like a, a, a good milestone uh, right. to, to say that you hit 100 episodes. And so uh, we're looking forward to hitting that milestone, and we're going to try and plan some festivities around that. Uh, so be listening to, to learn more about that. And then, as always, we hope that our reach uh, will grow in 2022 and that more lives will be impacted through the sharing of God's Word. And so I would ask you, if uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you're one of our dedicated listeners, or maybe you're a first-time listener, uh, we'd ask you to join us in prayer uh, for the ministry. Uh, we need prayer. We need to pray that God will give us guidance uh, on where we take the ministry next. We need to pray for open doors for new ministry opportunity. And uh, so if you would, just join us in praying, and we would greatly appreciate uh, that. Well, Dad, we're uh, kicking off the new year, and uh, following suit, we're going to be kicking off a new series that we'll be starting on on this episode. And so for this episode, the next several episodes, we will be studying through uh, the book, or from the book of Revelation, rather. And you may recall, if you've been with us for a while, we actually started 2021 uh, really looking at the book of Revelation. We did an in-depth study uh, entitled The Coming King, and that was looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, This year, we're going to focus in on the first three chapters of Revelation. And so um, I hope you will tune in for all of those episodes and that you'll study along with us. Um, I think that God has a lot for us here in these first three chapters that we're going to be discussing over the next several weeks. What's interesting is uh, these first three chapters of Revelation, you know, when most people think about the book of Revelation, uh, they think uh, a lot of metaphors, a lot of imagery, a lot of uh, of, of symbolism, and they think it's real complicated. Um, but what I love is the first three chapters of Revelation is about as plain talk as you can get. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, it's very straightforward. And uh, inside these three chapters, we find seven short letters to seven literal churches that existed in Asian Minor, and that's a modern-day Turkey during first century A.D., uh, it's important to note that not only do I say that this is plain talk in those first three chapters, but largely the first three chapters is Jesus talking. So these letters just aren't any letters. These letters are letters from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we've entitled uh, this series, Dad, we've got it, uh, Dear Church is our series title with the subtitle, Seven Letters from Jesus. And so each episode, we're going to be diving in to a different letter and seeing the message that God wants us to hear. Now, I want to make sure that you catch this and understand as as we're doing this kind of introductory into uh, the series here, that even though these letters were addressed to individual an individual church, each uh, single one, all the churches were going to receive the letters because the, the, the mode of uh, John, the apostle who's writing, is this letter would be sent around and it would be passed around and and so all the churches would see it. So ultimately, it was going to be uh, beneficial and useful for all the churches. And uh, we're still reading it 2,000 years later. And so it's obviously beneficial for us uh, to, to read and uh, for us to think about how it applies to the church of today. And when I say the church of the day, I mean that in two different ways. I mean the the time that we're in, you know, the the church that we're in. I think, Dad, you were talking about how uh, the seven churches uh, kind of relate to the the phases that the church as a whole has gone through throughout time. That's exactly right. And so there's application there. I think there's also application to the church that you're in at this moment. Mm-hmm. I think you can find examples of all the churches uh, in existence in your local community today, mm-hmm. and that has implications uh, that you, you need to know about. As you're trying maybe to pick a new church or you move to a new area, you need to know what these churches look like. And then uh, lastly, you know, churches, uh, uh, churches, 
largely just a building. Uh, the building's nothing special. It's the people that, mm-hmm. that make the church. And so ultimately, these letters really are to individuals. And so each of us as uh, individual people, we need to take in this information and we need to apply it and uh, look at it as our own personal uh, life and examine our own hearts and see what God is uh, saying to us. And so, you know, before we get uh, too deep into our first letter here, Dad, I just want to talk about uh, the first chapter, uh, or the opening chapter of Revelation, and uh, give our, our, our listeners a little bit of background. And in Revelation chapter 1, we find the Apostle John in exile on the tiny island of uh, Patmos. And uh, he had been the overseer of the churches of Asia Minor, and he was banished from society by the Romans. Uh, and the, the reason why he was banished is they wanted to get rid of his religious influence in the area. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, John, you're causing too much trouble around here. We're going to send you away. Now, exile was a terrible punishment, and it was pretty much only second to death, the penalty, right? I mean, if you got banished to a remote island, uh, that that was pretty bad. But it was while on this remote island that John had the vision of the risen Christ, and as John looked on it in amazement, he saw seven lampstands uh, representing the seven churches, and in their midst stood Jesus. I want you to listen to how John records what he saw. And this is coming from Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 12 and going through verse 16. Let's, let's read that together. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in garments down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its full strength. So listen to this. Listen to the description of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He looks a lot different compared to, to what Jesus looked like when he was on this earth. We see John describe him as his hair being striking white, suggesting age, wisdom, and dignity befitting of a judge. His eyes, they were like fire, eyes from which nothing is hidden, eyes that will judge all of mankind. His feet, they were like fine brass, another symbol of judgment. His voice sounded like many waters. This is the voice of power and authority that shall roar from on high. His right hand, there were seven stars. These seven stars, we're told, represent the angels, and that means ministers or messengers of the seven churches. Many believe that represents the the pastors of these seven churches. His mouth, it says, from his mouth there went a sharp two-edged sword representing the piercing word of God. And then finally, his countenance like the sun, representing his glory. Our Bible tells us that John, being overwhelmed with this sight of what he saw there at Christ, he fell at Jesus' feet as a dead man. Mm-hmm. And, and Dad, I, I can't imagine, when I was reading through this description and, uh, and just in my mind kind of imagining the sight that John saw, I mean, every hair on my body was standing up and just thinking about this, this, this picture of Christ. And I can understand how he was overwhelmed. And he fell down to his feet, and he was lifeless, basically. But Jesus reached down, and he touched John, and he said, Don't be afraid. He said, John, I need you to get up. I want you to get a pen. I want you to write down what I'm going to say. 
I've got some things that I want to tell these seven churches. I want you to write down everything that you've seen here. And it's from here where we get the book of Revelation is John writing exactly what he saw and what he heard as those spoken words from Jesus. So Jesus began to speak and he spoke directly to the seven churches. On this episode, we're going to look at the first letter, and this letter was addressed to the church at Ephesus. Dad, I've done a lot of talking. Why don't you share a little bit about this letter? Well, this church was located in a very cultured city, and the ancient world roads were neither plentiful nor good, but Ephesus was located right where three great trading routes converged. Plus, the city of Ephesus was noted as being one of the greatest seaports of the ancient world. Because of the location of Ephesus along the trade routes and the sea, people of all different kinds of nationality poured into Ephesus, bringing their different styles and traditions, making Ephesus a very wealthy and cultured city. But not only was Ephesus a cultured city, it was a corrupt city. The travelers coming into Ephesus from different places made Ephesus have an abundance of different religions. Of all of them, the cult of Diana was the most prominent. Now, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the great temple of Diana in Ephesus. The worship of the Ephesian Diana was beyond anything that can be translated or described. There were thousands of priestesses and temple prostitutes, along with unnumbered dancers and singers and flute players to lead in the homage of worship. Through shouts and music, the worshipers would work themselves up into frenzies of shameless sexual mutilation. One Greek philosopher, Heraclitus, wrote saying that the morals of the temple were worse than the morals of animals and that the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. Heraclitus was noted as being the weeping philosopher who never smiled. He wrote that the reason he never smiled, or laughed for that matter, was because he lived among such terrible uncleanness. Yes, Ephesus was a spiritually dark place. But thank God that a church was started there. The Apostle Paul, on his journey back to Antioch, during his second missionary journey, stopped off at Ephesus, leaving behind two great Christians, Priscilla and Aquila. When he returned on his third journey, he stayed in Ephesus for about two and a half years. God gave the newly formed church a revival. Acts chapter 19 verse 18 tells us many people believed the gospel and people began bringing their old magic books, throwing them in piles, burning them, confessing their sins. As a matter of fact, so many people were getting saved, prostitutes, homosexuals, people of other religions, that according to Acts chapter 19, there was a drop in the sales of the little souvenir images of Diana and the temple, making the craftsmen riot in the streets. Well, after this, Paul moved on to another city to minister in and left Timothy behind to supervise the work. Later on, while in prison... Paul wrote the church at Ephesus a letter, and he wrote Timothy two letters. Now, according to an early tradition, the Apostle John, the same John that, that wrote these uh, words in the book of Revelation as he was given these uh, words through Revelation, the same Apostle John replaced Timothy toward the end of the first century as pastor of the church. 
Persecution of the early Christians at that time in Ephesus was extreme. The Apostle John, as Matthew pointed out, was eventually arrested for preaching the gospel and banished, as you said, to the Isle of Patmos, where he had a vision of a risen Savior who instructed him to write seven letters uh, to these churches in Asia Minor, including his former pastorate, the church at Ephesus. Now, we're going to get right in uh, to the letter. Now, in this letter, I want you to note, first of all, uh, what God said, what Jesus said concerning this church. You might say uh, how he gave this church a commendation. And we're going to look at verse 2. He says, I know thy works. He's talking to this church at Ephesus. Jesus is dictating this letter for John to write. He said, I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. Now, when he uses those three words, he's describing a church that is standing up to the task that is doing its job. Works, labor, and patience are words that indicate that a real service was being rendered. It was not just talk. This was a busy church. They really did minister to the people in the community. The word works speaks of the actual service being rendered. People's lives were really being touched. The word labor indicates that painful effort was required to produce the works. The tasks were not something incidental to them. David said over in 2 Samuel twenty four twenty four, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. Well, these Ephesian Christians not only work for God, but they work for God at a price. They were sacrificing, ministering people. I doubt James would have ever written to these Ephesian Christians his stinging rebuke, faith without works is dead, because this church was full of good works. Now, we need more people in our churches like these Ephesian Christians who are willing to sacrifice to get the job done and get it done right. So many people study just enough to get by and support church programs just enough to keep them half going. Well, this Ephesian church, due to their self-sacrificing labor on the part of its members, had a magnificent, aggressive program that received the approval of our Lord. Now, if the Lord was to evaluate your work, those of you out there in podcast land, and give you a report today, would he say, well done? Or would you be ashamed because of your lack of preparation and labor? You know, one of these days, Matt, he's going to evaluate the quality of our work at the judgment seat of Christ. That's for every Christian. That's right. Uh, we best judge ourselves now and make the necessary improvements, lest when we're judged by him, our labor will be of poor quality and burn up. The Ephesian church was standing up to the task. They were also standing up for the truth. The Lord wrote in verse 2, I know that you cannot endure evil men. Now, the believers at Ephesus repudiated moral evil. The kind of a thing which took place at Corinth would not have been tolerated at Ephesus. Uh, no man who was unscrupulous in business, impure in his conversation, known to be living in immorality, habitually intoxicated, given into fits of rage, unfaithful in his tithing, or convicted of lying would have lasted in the Ephesian fellowship. He would have been judged, given an opportunity to repent, and if no sincere repentance was made, he would have been excommunicated with due dispatch. Now, true, 
there would be a certain hardness in this procedure, but high standards of discipline would be maintained. The Ephesian believers also repudiated ministerial evil. Verse 2 says, Jesus speaking to them in the letter, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. Now, some showing up at Ephesus with high-sounding claims to ministerial position, even to the point of calling themselves apostles, were tested and found out to be lying, and thus they were not received. If a man wasn't doctrinally pure, the Ephesian Christians would not give him an opportunity to appear before the congregation to speak or to lead. Now, we need to test people's doctrines in our day and time in our churches before allowing them to minister the Word of God, because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, according to verse 6, the Ephesian Christians also hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which the Bible says the Lord also hated. Now, the word Nicolaitan means to conquer the people. Now, some Bible students believe this was a sect who tried to rob the people in the church of their liberty in Christ by setting up a priestly office in the church whereby people had to go through to get to God. Now, such an idea is totally contrary to the teaching of the New Testament. The Ephesian Christians were commended by our Lord because they were standing up to the task, standing up for the truth, and standing up to the test. Verse 3, Jesus said, "...and hast borne and hast patience." And for my name's sake, hast labored and hast not fainted. This speaks of their posture in the face of opposition and hostility. Every church, just like every believer, who really serves the Lord is going to meet with opposition from the devil and the devil's people. The Ephesian Christians had their share of opposition and criticism, but they did not give up easily. Sure, there were probably times when their work didn't look all that successful, but they did not lose faith. They just kept on keeping on year after year, bearing each other's burdens and toiling without fainting for the sake of the Lord. And God commended them for it. Now, those of you out there in podcast land, listen, don't allow the devil to get you down. Hold to your faith. Keep right on working for Jesus. Matt, what does he say now about uh, you know what he finds disfavorable about this church? That's right. So no matter how you examine this congregation, it would be easy to conclude that they were just about perfect. However, the one who stood among the lampstands, that being Jesus, he looked past their works, he looked past their labor, he looked past their patience, past their discernment, and he looked right at their heart. I want you to look at verse 4 here. And what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, verse four, it says, nevertheless, nevertheless, that means, but if I was doing this Bible, if this was the Matt Parker translation, that would be, but he's got a, but here, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Now, what a statement, what a statement. I want to read that to you one more time. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. I want you to take a minute and just let that soak in and and try to understand exactly what's happening here. Jesus tells the church at Ephesus, I know your behavior is right, your beliefs are right, but I got a problem with you. You've lost your first love. 
Mm-hmm. You left your first love. Now, you may be thinking, well, what is first love? What is Jesus saying here? Well, first love, first love is fervent, personal, uninhibited, openly, openly displayed love. First love is, a, is that devotion to Christ that often is characterized by a new believer. You see, I want you to think back. If you're a Christian, I want you to go back into your mind when you first accepted Christ and think about those uh, first hours, those first days, maybe first few weeks, uh, just how uh, on fire you are, you were for God. You, you wanted to, to spend time reading His Word. You wanted to, to be in church every time the doors were open. You wanted to sing praises to Him. It didn't matter if the person got up in, in, in the sanctuary and couldn't sing a tune. If they were singing about the goodness of God and His grace and His mercy, you were right there along with them because you had this love, first love. Mm-hmm. It can be described almost as, as, as a honeymoon type of love. That's what He was looking for. He wanted them to have that type of love, that type of passion. But what the church at Ephesus, they, they had lost that. You see, they... They became so busy trying to serve him that they began to neglect him himself and their relationship. You know, I like to think of it this way, Dad. I'm sure that Ephesus, from from the description that we saw here, Ephesus' bulletin and newsletter was probably packed. Mm -hmm. They probably had something going on, just like we talked at our church. There was something going on every night of the week. Mm -hmm. There was probably great uh, speakers that were coming in to the church at Ephesus. They were having big conventions. They were probably having great worship services and singers and musicians coming in, and they were doing all of these things. But you see, they were doing all of these things, but slowly over time they began to do them more so out of routine and out of a habit than out of love for Christ. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Right. That, 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 it's, it's amazing and, and yet terrifying to me that it is possible to serve, to sacrifice, and to even suffer for the name's sake of Christ, yet really not love Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That should put fear in all of us. That's right. We really have to look at our, at our, our motivation and our motives behind what we do. You know, we, we live here in the South, Dad, and I think it's very easy uh, for us to get in a habitual pattern with church mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it's kind of part of our culture. Sunday you go to church. Most people just go to church. They don't even think about it. They wake up on Sunday, and that's what they do, mm-hmm. and, and it becomes habit-forming. Mm-hmm. But are, are we really going to church to worship, or are we going to, to see our friends? Mm-hmm. Are we really going to, to church to serve and to sacrifice, or are we just going there to check a box? Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that so many churches today have moved in and so many Christians have moved in to just this habitual, I go, I do, I check the box, I'm done for the week, I walk out, and nothing of my life speaks of Christ beyond maybe an hour or two hours a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I volunteer and I serve on the, this committee and that committee. Yeah, I, I, I coach this sports team at the church. I'm an upward coach. Uh, I work with the youth. But am I doing it because of my love for Christ? Is that what's emanating out of me? Is a, just a, a love for Christ? I want to do everything I can for him because he's done so much for me. He saved me from my sins. He, he brought me up out of the mire of, of my old sinful condition and saved me from hell. And because of what he's did, this is the least I can do, mm-hmm. is to serve him and try and bring him glory. That's the motivation that we need to have. But this church at Ephesus, they lost that somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. And the point that we must understand is that 
labor is no substitute for love, mm-hmm. and neither is purity a substitute for passion. Mm-hmm. God wants our love. God wants our passion. Mm-hmm. He wants it directed to Him. Our God's a jealous God, mm-hmm. and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want us to, to just be giving Him seconds or giving Him leftovers. He wants the first of our gifts to be given to Him. Mm-hmm. He wants us to give Him the best of what we have to offer. And that includes doing everything that we do from the motivation of love and fellowship with him more than anything. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if, you, if you're doing things as part of today as, as your quote-unquote Christian rock, and it's not because of your love for Christ, I'd say stop doing them mm-hmm. and, and get it right, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, and then you can start back doing them. Mm-hmm. But God would rather have your attention and have your love and have your, your first than to have a whole laundry list of things that you did for him. That's right. That's what he wants. And you know, Dad, I, I'm, I'm so thankful, though, that uh, despite uh, this church, Jesus never really gave up on them. Gave, he never gives up on anyone. And, and so in a true act of mercy and grace, Jesus provided a path to correction to the church at Ephesus. He says, this is what you need to do, church at Ephesus. Hear me, I'm putting you on warning. I see a problem here. Here's how you fix it. Tell them how, how they can fix it, Dad. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to look now at the appeal that the Lord gave this church. Now, let's look at verse 5. Uh, Jesus said to the church, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand and its place unless you repent. Now, going back to verse 4, where Jesus had said, I've I've got this against you, that you've left your first love, our Lord reminded the church, obviously, in verse 4, that uh, love had to be paramount, as Matthew pointed out. Uh, The rule is, where there is no love, there's no life. If the love for the Lord Jesus is waning in the church, then it is worse than useless that church is because it gives the wrong impression of what Christianity is all about, and it's best removed. You think about it. A burned-out light bulb needs to be replaced. Jesus told the church at Ephesus that if they did not recapture their love for him, then he was coming, and he was going to take away their service of ministering the Word of God. But this doesn't have to be because the condition does not have to remain. It can be changed. And Jesus gave this church three steps. Remember, repent, and return or repeat those first works. The first word that Jesus used is remember. That word is in the present imperative. It literally means keep on remembering. Do you remember what your life was like before you met Jesus? Do you remember how you came to know Him as Savior and Lord? Do you remember a time when you loved Jesus with so much enthusiasm and warmth that just to think of His name would bring a lump in your throat, tears to your eyes, and joy to your heart because of how precious He was to you? Jesus said, this is the first step of getting back to first love. Remember. Next, our Lord said, repent. This means to turn away from our sins of neglecting to love the Lord and spend time with Him. And finally, repeat. 
We see this when he said, do the first works, which suggests restoring the original fellowship that was broken by our sin and our neglect. For the believer, this being this means spending non-hurried quality time in prayer. The reading of God's love letter, the scriptures, meditation on his word, obedient service and worship. Now up to verse 7, Jesus had talked in the second person plural, you plural meaning all of you. In verse 7, he speaks in the singular. He says in verse 7, He, meaning singular, that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Now, churches do not repent as groups, but as individuals. The only way a church can get back to its first love is when its people individually get back to their first love. In the port of Ephesus, the harbor was given to much change because of its continual silting. What was water became land, and what was land became water. The silting character of the city is reflected in the Lord's letter to the Ephesian Christians. Once so strong in their love for him, they're now seen by him as shifting away. Now listen, uh, have you been shifting farther away? I remember when I was a student taking health class at Clemson, that the professor one day, he decided to give us an illustration, and uh, it required a girl in the church, excuse me, in the class to volunteer, and so it's a, a nice girl. She raised her hand to volunteer to help out the professor, and so he put two chairs together on the stage. He sat in one, and she sat in one. They were side by side. He said, all right, class, we're courting. We're dating. And he pretended like he was steering a wheel and he was driving. And there she was sitting right next to him so close as, you know, perhaps maybe a boyfriend and girlfriend would sit in the car when they're dating and they're getting serious. And he said, we're dating. And then he said, now, and he took her chair and he slid her chair arm's length away from him. He said, now we're married. (laughs) And then he asked everybody in the class, You see, his chair was in the same place where it was at to begin with. He said, now, who moved? And I thought to myself, now, there's a biblical illustration if I've uh, never seen one. Uh, You know, we're close to God when we start out the Christian life. But somewhere along the way, we move. And we need to come back and get back close to God again. That's right. You know, Dan, as uh, I was studying and, and thinking about this um, uh, episode that we're doing here in the Scripture, I, I remembered a story uh, that I ran across one time. I want to share it with our listeners um, as we as we get ready to close here. This story was told by uh, G. Campbell Morgan. He's a famed preacher from years gone by. And he tells a story of a friend that he had who had a, a little girl who was his daughter, and he loved her dearly. He loved her more than anything in this world. Uh, he thought that that little girl, you know, hung the moon and, and just it was it was great. And she loved her daddy. And uh, the two of them were the best of friends. They spent time together. Uh, they were You never saw one without the other. It seemed like they were always together. But there came a day when there seemed to, to become uh, an estrangement between 
the two. And it was on the child's part, Dad, kind of as you were talking about. Mm-hmm. He, he hadn't moved. The father hadn't moved. But it seemed like the child was growing a little bit further away. The father couldn't uh, get the girl to do anything with him anymore. He would go to her a room and say, hey, let's go for a walk. And she would say, no, I can't go. I'm, I'm busy. He would say, hey, let's 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 get up in the morning and, and let's let's go uh, eat breakfast and, and let's let's have a talk. And she would go, no, I'm I'm too busy. She she seemed to shun him almost. And if he uh, wanted to 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 walk or, or do anything, she always said she had something to do. The father was grieved, and he, he couldn't understand what the trouble was. Some months later, his birthday came around, and in the morning, his daughter came into the room, and her face was radiant with love, and she handed him a present. Opening the package, he found a pair of exquisitely made slippers. The father said, My child, it is very good for you to buy me such a lovely pair of slippers. And the child said, Oh, father, I didn't buy them. I made them for you. Looking at her, he said, I think I understand now what's been going on. Is this what you've been doing for the last few months? She said excitedly, yes, this is what I've been doing. But how did you know how long I've been working on them? And he said, because for the last three months, I've missed your company and your love. I've wanted you with me, but you've been too busy. These beautiful slippers, I love them, but next time, buy your present and let me have all of you for the days. I'd rather have my child herself than anything she could make me. Ah, it's like that, yeah. And as I think about this story, Dad, it seems like it it summarizes what we're we're seeing here as Jesus is writing uh, to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying, you know, yeah, I'm I'm proud and I'm, I'm, I'm happy of the work that you're doing for me. But uh, I want you, mm. and I want your love, and I want your attention, and I want to have a relationship with me. And uh, it, this story seems to so eloquently display that, is, is that same message, the father to the daughter, is, is Jesus to the church and to Christians, even today, saying, you know what, put down the list of to-dos, mm-hmm. of things that you're checking boxes for, for church attendance and, and, and serving, and come back to me, and mm-hmm. let let's get the relationship again. Let's 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 get into each other, and let's let's experience what it is to fellowship with each other, and and to love once again, and, and put all of that other stuff to the side. And I and I really think that you know one day we're gonna have to to give an account of what we've done with our life. Obviously, the Bible speaks of two judgments. There's a judgment uh, that will happen for those who are lost, but there's going to be judgment for Christians where we have to, to say, this is what, I, what I've done. And I just I can't help but think that there's going to be so many people that are going to be Ephesian Christians when they stand before Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have all of these works, and they're going to say, look at this, Jesus. Look what I did for you. Look at all the mission trips. Look at all the, mm-hmm. the committees I led and all the classes I taught and all the studies I did and, and all of this stuff. And he's going to look at it and he says, that's all great and good, but I really wanted more of you mm-hmm. during your time uh, there on earth. And so um, I hope that this... Uh, we'll speak to our listeners. Again, we told you as we began in the introduction here, this letter was written to the church at Ephesus. Um, it was written to the benefit of them. It was written to the benefit of all the churches that would read this letter, even including the church that's reading it today. Uh, but this letter is for personal application. And I want you to think, are you an Ephesian Christian? Are you a member of the church of Ephesus today? Are you just 
uh, going through motions, checking boxes, and uh, not actually participating in that first love that Jesus wants. You know, Dad, in my Bible, and what we've titled this particular episode is The Loveless Church. Mm -hmm. It says The Loveless Church there at the top of chapter 2. I'd hate to be a member of The Loveless Church. I'd hate to be a loveless Christian. I'd hate that designation to be put upon me. And so I I hope that all of our listeners, that you'll take this seriously and that you will think and introspect into your life. Are Are you loving God the best that you can? Are you exhibiting that first love? And if you're not, let's take the advice here that Jesus gives us how how to fix that, how to remedy it, to remember where we came from, remember what he did for us, remember all of those joys we had when we first were saved and brought out of our sinful condition, to repent, to get on our knees and say, God, I'm sorry I got my priorities out of alignment and I've put doing things and serving things for you in front of actually worshiping you Mm -hmm. and fellowshipping with you. Forgive me for that. And then make a course to get that change and then repeat. That repeat is is to go back and do the things that you were supposed to do. And that's read your Bible, meditate on God's word, uh, do obedient service and worship him in spirit and in truth, as the Bible said. Mm -hmm. Not because you're just going because I got to do this worship for an hour this week. That's exactly right. Worship in spirit and truth. And you know what that means is it may not even be in the church building. Mm-hmm. You can worship in spirit and truth in your car. You can worship in spirit and truth in your living room. You don't have to be in the church building to worship in spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. That's not something that you do on Sunday mornings between 10 and 11 or whatever your service time is. Mm-hmm. Worshiping in spirit and truth can happen every day. It should happen every day. Mm-hmm. There should be time that you set aside to to worship God and to fellowship with him in spirit and in truth. So I, I pray that this will speak to hearts today. I pray that you will uh, meditate on the, the words here uh, from Jesus, this letter uh, to the Ephesian church. I, I hope that uh, this uh, study series, this first episode, will uh, kind of light a fire in you, get you interested in what these other letters have to say. Uh, Jesus has things he wants to talk to other churches, the other six other churches that we'll be going through. And again, application for us. So if you will, uh, be mindful, be reading your Bible, read through chapters 1, 2, and 3 as we study. Maybe find someone that you can study with. I encourage you, go get someone and uh, and say, let's sit down and let's read God's Word together. Let's talk about it, what we think, uh, what you think, and, and then listen to the podcast and help put it all together. I think that would be a great way uh, to start the new year is studying the Bible with someone uh, that maybe you can help them grow in their relationship, and together, both of mm-hmm. you will grow closer to Christ. That's right. Dad, close us out of here. Our Father in heaven, you know, Lord, we love you, and we're glad, oh God, that you love us. And our Heavenly Father, I pray, oh God, that you would just use these words that Jesus gave to the church to speak to us, for Lord, in turn, because they have been placed in the Word of God, the Scriptures, they're for all of us. God, help us to uh, reevaluate our relationship with you, Lord. If there is a coldness, if there is a distance between us, Lord, and it could be because we focus so much time doing, uh, doing the things of the church that we've neglected to spend time with you. Convict us about it, O oh God. Open up our eyes to the fact that you want us to come back and spend time with you, too. And Lord, help us to check our motives for why we do what we do also, Father. Is it truly out of love for you? And thank you, Lord God, for speaking to our hearts today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonefire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.